Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content on YouTube weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Courtside Podcast. And we have gone through a majority of everyone's games three and four in the second round of the NBA playoffs, as we did over the last weekend. And actually, let's go straight into last weekend as we look at from Game 3 of the Miami Heat versus the Philadelphia 76ers series. Philadelphia took both games at home with Joel Embiid actually coming back from the optical fracture out of nowhere. Only about a couple of minutes or so prior to that Game 3. And I believe that the 76ers got fined about 50k just because they didn't handle the calling of Joel Embiid's health resume out quickly enough. However, that 50k, they'll take that with pride as the 76ers end up going off. Basically on Friday, 99-79 to to win Game 3 at home. And then on Sunday, yesterday, they won 160-108 at home as well to even out the series 2-2 two and two and bring it back to Miami on Tuesday for a Game 5. And then same exact way, however, now on the west side. The Dallas Mavericks took two games for Game 3 and Game 4 in Dallas to even the series 2-2 two and two with the Phoenix Suns. And we're actually going to go into that later on. In this podcast, especially of how Luka and the crew were able to get it done in Dallas, then the Boston Celtics series against the Milwaukee Bucks, we have a lot to talk about that today. I mean, from officiating, Tatum getting an absolute goose egg with a performance, as I usually do say so myself, and then Giannis, 42 points in this one, but it could have been an easy comeback for the Celtics if it wasn't for officials. We'll go into that later on the podcast, and of course... Ending it off, Golden State's Game 3 was an absolute success for the Golden State Dubs. Ending off, going off of 142 points scored in this game. I believe it was the second best overall point total that the Warriors have gotten in a franchise history in the postseason. So this was obviously a huge game for the Warriors. And as well, we'll talk about the John Morant injury that we saw in that game and how that going to affect Game 4 with him possibly missing some time. But first, let's go into the Sixers series. As I said before, they actually won out two games at home, Joel Embiid being the big piece of the reason why the Sixers team has kind of flipped the script on the Miami Heat, who everyone thought was going to be an easy sweep. And honestly, I thought after watching the first two games, it was going to be an easy sweep. I mean, Tyler Hero was getting crazy off a three-point going into the second half of every single game. Jimmy Butler was actually still giving you buckets, even though, yeah, sure, you weren't really hearing his name a lot, as you do in the media with the Miami Heat recently. And then, of course, I mean, no Joel Embiid. You have no offensive rebounds. You know, the second-chance points of Miami were obvious to everybody that that was kind of the reason why they were going to go out to even extend runs in the second half of games, as Philadelphia barely even got their bench to score anything, really. But then Game 3 happens. And it's almost like Joel Embiid just goes on a tear off the get-go. He ended up starting off with a double-double in Game 3. Had 18 points and 11 rebounds. Ended up going for 5-12 and 12 from the field. That's about 41-42% to 42% overall for the night. And then Game 4 on Sunday, Joel Embiid again. 24 points, 11 rebounds. Again getting that double-double. And this time, shooting even better, about 53.8%. So you can basically round it out to 54% from the field. But the biggest thing about this is that James Harden is back. 
James Harden is back to getting a 30 a game. We saw him on Sunday. 31 points in this one with 9 assists, so he's still facilitating the ball. Nothing has really changed about his game. However, he's more accurate now. 6 and 10 from 3, right? 8 and 18, 44.4% from the field overall. I mean, James Harden looked different one-on-one against Bam and Abayo, one-on-one against Victor Oladipo. He was taking these guys to work, and that step-back three that we haven't seen him done since Houston effectively, I mean, it's back. It looks really nice out there. And honestly, I'll even go a little bit further that even though a lot of people say that this Sixers team will be based on how Harden helps out Embiid, man, what about how Embiid helps out Harden? But James Harden now with the ball majority of the time, and a beat inside, you know, Harden takes himself going outside with his prey one-on-one on the wings. And then not even that, I mean, moving the ball around and taking the focus away from James Harden. We're not having a double or a triple coming off of a zone from the Miami Heat to Harden, you know, obviously get turnovers or just throw, hook up shots. I mean, this is, means that James Harden is going to be more effective in the following days, especially with Embiid coming back. It's definitely changed the tide. I think Tobias Harris who has been phenomenal throughout this entire series. I mean, not phenomenal. I have to say probably like 13, 15 a game here and there. It's still good. I mean, he's basically the second leader in scoring besides uh, Maxi. But I got to say, you know, Philadelphia looks pretty damn solid last two games, and I don't really find them stopping anytime soon. And it's unfortunate because even though they won that one 116-108 on Sunday, that still should not be the case because of Jimmy Butler as a vintage, I mean, I have to say, look like Jimmy Buckless from the bubble. 40 points in that one, shooting 65% from the field overall. Now, yeah, sure, you can say, you know, he went to the line about 13 times, made 12 or 13 from the free throw line, so he did get those calls. But 40 points? I mean, that's just a vintage game going to waste. And Bam in a bile, you know. And again, accuracy is probably one of the biggest things about Bam that you can say positive about his performance in this series. Again, another... 75% or better shooting night for him as he ended up with 21 points in game four. But at the same time, I mean, defensively, you know, yeah, sure, he gets the guard guys you know, one through five in position from the point guard all the way to the center. But how effective does he do it against Joel Embiid? You know, didn't look like anything much. I think majority of the time they were one-on-one -on -one matched up against each other. I don't know the exact stats about this, but I guarantee you Joel was knocking Bam upside down offensively defending him easily so Bam and Abayo as accurate as he was and getting himself 20 points and whatnot I mean they need to do more because as I said before vintage game from Jimmy B but everybody else had like almost a clown fest you know Kyle Lowry six points in this one shooting 30 percent from the field three and ten right Max Struess who apparently is getting just about 30 minutes in this game but we don't see Duncan Robinson at all Coming off of the bench. And, the, and basically this entire series. That seems to be the way it's gone. And Max Drews. Just as Kyle Lowry. Six points. But a little bit better. 40% from the field. Right? But two and five from three. PJ Tucker. Three and seven overall. From the field. You're talking about three of the starters on Miami. Not even getting to double digits offensively. And you're trying to tell me that these guys are going to be on the court for about 25 plus minutes a game. Right? But the biggest thing about this. Is that. What happened on the bench? The death of Miami is one of the biggest positive standards points that this Heat team has had in the NBA. One of the best benches out there in the Eastern Conference, let alone. They didn't look like that on Sunday. And this is probably the second night that we've seen 
from the game three and game four of Miami's bench that they've had underperformed with guys that we expect to give you a huge bucket. Tyler Hero in this one. 11 points, 10 rebounds. So he got a double-double as weird as it is for a guard to get a double-double with rebounds. But yeah, 11 and 10, 4 and 12 from field goal, and 1 and 5 from 3. Tyler the Kid, 1 and 5 from 3. 20% from 3, and 33.3% from field goal. Victor Oladipo falling suit as well. 33.3% from field goal as well, going 3 and 9 on the field. And this time with 15 points. Gabe Vincent, 10 minutes and 2 seconds is one. And only had 2 points as he shot 1 and 6 from the field. That is 16.7%. And the crazy thing about it, th- those are the only three players on the bench that scored. The Miami Heat played only nine guys in the rotation. No Caleb Martin, no Duncan Robinson, no Dwayne Dedman in this game. They brought back Markeith Morris for about three and a half minutes, maybe. He got like one rebound and a block, I believe. I- I'm not too positive, to be honest with you. It's like... I think it was just that one rebound because just seeing him on the court was probably an anomaly that we've seen in these playoffs because we barely see anything of Markeith. And then honestly, we might be seeing Robinson not get any minutes so far in this series. But only three players on the bench actually score. And believe it or not, out of the four players that got into double digits that night, two of them came off the bench. So is Miami going to do something where they fix the rotation? Are they going to include Duncan Robinson? Is Dwayne Dedman actually going to get more minutes and give Bam, I don't know, maybe some rest? Or even, you know, back and forth? Because I know that you're kind of playing a little bit away off the small ball, type of use the perimeter for your advantage. But let's be honest. I mean, it's not going to come to you like that. You know? The Miami Heat shot 20% from the three-point. 20%. 35 shots came from the three-point. All right? Only making seven of them, they shot more of the three compared to Philadelphia, and they made less of it compared to Philadelphia in that game four. And unless they change anything right now, I mean, I see why not they continue this same exact, you know, common repetition where you're just shooting for the three, but you're not knocking shots down. I mean, Kyle Lowry, as I said before, you know, he's only been in two games in this series, and he's lost both games in this series being back after his injury. All right? He was 0-6 from 3 that night in Game 4. 0-6. You make 50% of that, you got yourself a game. You got yourself possibly a 3-1 lead going back to Miami for Game 5. So you have to knock down those shots, and especially Kyle Lowry. I mean, you know, I said before for Games 1 and 2 that Victor Oladipo will probably be one of the biggest things to look at for a Miami squad going deep in the playoffs. It might just be Kyle Lowry after an injury. Because if Kyle Lowry doesn't pick up his pace, especially as an all-star guard, I mean, he might be going to those Derek Fisher years where you're talking about, you know, he's just driving in to get fouled. And I actually heard that on the ringer on the uh, Bill Simmons podcast, which is actually a pretty good podcast if you haven't heard it. But, I mean, it's a great analogy to use. Really great analogy to use. We might be looking at another Derek Fisher Laker years with Kyle Lowry in Miami. But besides Miami, we also have to look at what happened in Dallas and the huge 2-2 series tie of a big game 3 and 4 from Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is obviously, you know, getting himself a lot of big numbers in this series. I think in the first game he had 40, the other game he had 30 something, and then this game, you know, nothing crazy, right? Luka Doncic only gets 26 points. But what about Finney Smith? Finney Smith, 24 points in this one, 
and a majority of it coming from three. He was 8-12 and 12 from three-point, right? 66.7% from the field off of the three-point range. Finney Smith, the former Gator, was on fire. And I love my former Gators getting crazy in the NBA playoffs. Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't picking up in this one. However, Brunson, 18 points in this one. He was definitely a force out there against Devin Booker. And I think the funniest thing about it is that there's even a clip where he's pushing Devin Booker aside when he's going in for a layup. Man, you just got to love it because, I mean, give Brunson his respect. Got to give Brunson his respect. And in game three, let alone, I mean, Dallas did exactly the same thing. Luka, 26 points in this one, but Brunson, 28. I mean, the only player that I expect to really build on for Dallas if they're going to win this series, the only player that I expected to need to succeed was Dinwiddie, and he's not succeeding at all. But Brunson's right there with him. And they actually find us. Finney Smith as this other guy that's going to give you 20-something a night. And honestly, that works. That works perfectly fine. I think Finney Smith has a really great shot, underrated shooter. And defensively, I think he moves well on his feet. Spencer Dinwiddie, I'm hoping he picks up his pace. But in reality, I mean, you know, you're already four games in a series. I mean, you're looking like you're going to be either, you know, now or never. A little bit later, but better now. So... The Dallas Mavericks take two games there, game three and game four, despite the fact that Devin Booker had 35 points in that game four and made it kind of close in the beginning of the game. And then the Mavericks basically blew them out of the water and kept this lead throughout the entire game. But one of the biggest storylines about that game, I have to say, was probably because there's been a bunch of sources out there on Twitter that are saying that basically a fan was putting hands on Chris Paul's mother and wife in front of Chris Paul's children, which I have to say, you know, a fan like that should be banned for a lifetime. A lifetime, not only in Dallas, but from any NBA arena or venue, because that is ridiculous. If you're trying to tell me the player's family came to go to the game without being in some sort of danger or harm from the fans, I mean, that person has no place to watch a basketball game in person. He cannot be let allowed if he cannot control himself. If you cannot control yourself at an NBA game, we have to go to the points where going after a player's family. And remind you, Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns were down in this game. There was no reason at all to pick on this guy's family. Let alone, there should be any reason at all to pick for this guy's family. If you can't control yourself as an NBA fan in an NBA venue, you got to take yourself out of your seat and out of the arena. No refunds, no nothing. But that's probably the biggest storyline from Game 4, besides the fact that now Dallas holds a 2-2 two and two tie with the Phoenix Suns as they go back to the Valley coming up for Game 5. And then, of course, the previews I have now for the Bucks celtics series going to Game 4, as well as the Warriors-Grizzlies preview of their Game 4 in that series. I mean, it's hard to tell. It's really hard to tell exactly where I can go with this, because honestly... The Milwaukee series with the Boston Celtics. I feel like the Celtics, they had game three. They, you know, they were leading by, you know, about two to three possessions in the in the end of the first half. Then the second half comes, the third quarter, they basically blow it out. You know, you're shooting poorly. Jason Tatum in that game three had probably one of the worst nights he's ever had in a playoff game in his young career. And, of course, I mean... It's Milwaukee that do it. The last three worst games Jason Tatum has had in a sense of efficiency offensively 
has been from the hands of the Milwaukee Bucks. And this is from either 2019, I believe. Uh, another one was, I believe, around 20, no, I believe two, 2019, 2020, no, I don't believe so. Oh, wait, my apologies, 2018, 2019, and 2022, which is this one, where Jason Tatum in game three had only 10 points, about 41 to 42 minutes on the floor, 10 points in this one, and as an all-star, you're shooting 21.1% from the field overall. Jason Tatum, with 10 points, was behind as Jalen Brown finished with 27, Al Horford with 22, Robert Williams with 10. And actually at night where actually Derek White for the Boston Celtics was actually shooting pretty good. He was like 50% from the field with 14 points. So a night where Derek White has a better game than Jason Tatum, that just tells you it was a really off night for the Boston Celtics. And besides that, in that third quarter, they ended up almost coming back and winning this one in the fourth quarter as they blew out Milwaukee in the fourth quarter by 11 points, 34 to 23 alone in that quarter. But the officiating the last two minutes, there was a source out there on Twitter I saw that said that in the last two minutes, they said that five calls were missed. And the majority of those calls would have been for against the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think the biggest one that I saw was that three-point shot that Marcus Smart did that they didn't call it as a shooting foul, but however, called it on the floor. Now that, I mean, you can really argue all you want because it looked like Marcus Smart, when he was going across, they had Drew Holiday, I believe, that was having his hand in the cookie jar. And then Marcus Smart swings his arms and then almost like he's in a shooting motion. But in reality, it's like, you know, he didn't really flick his wrist. He had both his hands passed out. You know, I mean, he's just trying to get a shot off, honestly. It should have been a shooting foul. Don't get me wrong. You know, Marcus Smart definitely tried to get a shot off, especially in the situation that they were in. You know, you're down by, you know, three. You need a three. You got to get it on your last possession. I mean, why wouldn't he take that shot, especially if you know, I mean, especially in today's NBA. If somebody sticks your hand right there, I mean, the swing in motion is automatic. So that should have been easy three for the Boston Celtics. But instead, it was called on the floor. They take two free throws. Marcus makes the first one. And then he misses the second one, obviously, on purpose to try to get a second possession from it. He gets the rebound, actually, and tries to put it up. And it was almost like, you know, the ball was in the air for an eternity. As it kept going back and forth, back and forth. The Celtics kept on rebounding it. And now Horford finally got a tip and hit it on the backboard into the basket. Everyone goes on the floor thinking the Celtics got it to overtime. But in reality... It was still on Al's hands when the buzzer sounded. So the Milwaukee Bucks slip away from this one, 103-101, to 101, winning over the Boston Celtics in Game 3. And I mind you, this was a close game, but that third quarter was all the difference. Giannis Antetokounmpo in this game had 42 points in this game, 12 rebounds. So a double-double, only two assists away from a triple-double. But it's 42 points, majority of the scoring came out of the third quarter. Milwaukee had 34 points in that quarter. They wouldn't even hit 30 in a quarter at all in this game besides that third quarter. So all it takes is one quarter in reality for this game to really flip the script. So Jason Tatum with only 10 points, he looks to answer today as they play the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee for game four tonight at 7.30. And tonight being May the 9th, today, Monday, as, I mean, I have to say, 
whoever wins this series will most likely represent the Eastern Conference champion. I mean, I don't think there's a doubt in my mind about that. I'm not saying anything negative, but hey, you know, Miami looks kind of weak going off of dropping two games in Philadelphia. Joel Embiid, optical fracture, comes in to even come back in the series is mind-blocking in my mind, but do I really believe that any of those teams go against Giannis and actually win it out? I don't really believe so. I don't think so. I don't think so. And same way for the Boston Celtics as their defense, really. I mean, this is the most dominating defensive matchup I've seen in a while between these two teams, especially from what we saw in games one and two. I mean, reality games one and two were just decided based on the offenses of both squads. I mean, Milwaukee's offense in game two was sluggish and horrible to watch. The Celtics had a historically horrible night offensively in game one. This game three was like, I mean, pretty sure this game was insane as it is. I mean, look, damn, even through the first half and then the third quarter came in, you think Milwaukee's going to stretch away from this? And then JB, Jalen Brown, just goes off, leading the Celtics in scoring. And the fourth quarter comes up, and it's like the Celtics have a lead late, and then Milwaukee gets back, and you don't see the fouls being called. And it's like, I mean, it's just absolute mayhem. And speaking of mayhem, that brings us to our next series that we have to talk about for this Game 4 previews, the Warriors and Grizzlies. Game 4. And this one's going to be interesting. John Morant, as of right now, will not be going into Game 4 due to a knee injury, which he suffered in Game 3, and still played through during Game 3, despite the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies got blown out by the Golden State Warriors in that Game 3. So, I mean, Dylan Brooks comes back into this series after being suspended for Game 3 from what he's done to Gary Payne the second in that flagrant 2 foul. But will that make any bit of the difference? I don't believe so. You got the big three of the Golden State Warriors fully healthy again. I mind you, again, for the first time in three years, they're not stopping the breaks. They came out for the best win that they've had in, well, at least one of the best wins, I have to say in my opinion, they've had in franchise history, winning 142 to 112. They won by 30. All right. John Morant scored 34 points in that game. John Morant, majority through these playoffs, has been giving you 40 to 45 to 47 to 30-something. John Moran's been giving you probably one-third of Memphis Grizzlies baskets. So no doubt in my mind, this Memphis team without John Morant and the idea where you have a young squad without any type of real playoff experience, I mean, it's hard to tell exactly if this is going to sink the Memphis Grizzlies so bad that they won't even win a single game remaining in this series. Or someone's going to have to step up. I mean, it could be Bain, could be Brooks, but who knows, man? Who knows? I mean, John Moran's giving you a majority of your points out there. I mean, I'm not expecting Jackson Jr. to go crazy over Draymond Green. You know, Kaminga might be, you know, Kaminga's actually playing pretty damn well. I mean, game three, we saw Kaminga with 18 points. Wiggins with 17. Curry with 30. Clay Thompson with 21. Jordan Poole give you buckets off of the bench. Jordan Poole actually had 27 in that game three. It was shooting about 64 to 65% from the field. And 60% from three alone. I mean, this Warriors team can beat out Memphis and probably anybody else in the Western Conference with only six guys in rotation if they wanted to. No doubt in my mind right now that if they don't win this game four and Jaw is still out, they won't win that game five. 
or nor the series because they will be taken out in five games. Guarantee. I cannot imagine Memphis winning without John Morant. And I hate to say that because honestly, I feel that it would be much better if the NBA had themselves four second round series going two and two throughout the first four games. I think that would be amazing TV to see a game seven, hopefully one day and then a game seven afterwards. But it's not looking like that right now. The Memphis Grizzlies might be the first team out of the second round. From the looks of it, the Miami series could make it to six to seven games. I think that game five in Miami is so crucial that if Miami loses that one, they basically lose the series. And if Philadelphia loses that one, I mean, they might guarantee a game seven because I can't imagine Miami going back to Philadelphia with Joel Embiid healthy and winning that one. But I'm just saying, right now, I mean, the Grizzlies look to be the only team that is probably in huge danger right now. Huge danger of being out first in the second round. And to end off this episode, we have to talk about the news that was broken out by Wojnarowski and Shams. From what I saw earlier this morning, Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets have won the most valuable player award presented by Kia in the NBA this year. The MVP of 2021 and 2022 season is Jokic, and he actually won that one over Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who were the other candidates out of the top three for the prestigious award. And I have to say, it is a snub that Joel didn't win this one. Absolute snub that Joel did not win this one. Joel Embiid brought the 76ers to a fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, right? Still giving you huge baskets. He was a top three in overall points per game in the NBA ending off this year. You know, going side by side with LeBron James, Giannis, and he was still that huge presence in the playoffs. Huge win that game three win against the Toronto Raptors with that buzzer beater three, right? Lost two of those games in Miami to start off this second round series. I mean, we look at the second round series. Joel Embiid flips the script. Without Joel Embiid, we might be done with that Miami series by yesterday. All right? So I guarantee you right now, without Joel Embiid, that 76ers team would have been a whole different process, no pun intended, but it would have been a whole different process of what they're looking at in the offseason. Okay? The Denver Nuggets, they barely make it into the playoffs, almost a play-in team as a sixth seed. They get absolutely embarrassed in that first round against the Golden State Warriors. And yeah, sure, you know, it's not Jokic's fault. Jokic, you know, he got himself 2,000 points in this season, which is, you know, phenomenal, breaking franchise records, breaking historically NBA records. But at the same time, I mean, I mean, how much does he matter, right? I mean, how much does Jokic matter in the landscape of the NBA right now? I mean, he's a huge part of that Denver team, but... I mean, does he make to be the best player in the West, right? I mean, do you find him as, like, a huge piece in the Western Conference when you go down to the playoffs or go down to the postseason or a huge part in the West where it's like, oh, yeah, he can definitely be the result of the reason why Golden State loses this series? Or, like, is he, you know what I mean? Like, does he shift the building? Does he shift anything on the court? And the answer to that is no. I think that Denver team without him would still be a good team. Ball movement would have been just fine. I think Jokic is just the centerpiece of that team because of the coaching that they do and the system that they do with the bigs. And Jokic, mind you, is a phenomenal player as a big. He's a underrated passer, one of the best passers out there as his size. 
and let alone, you know, he gives you 30 a game, you know, 25 plus a game, going to give you a double-w automatically, if not by rebounds, then by assist. But, I mean, do, I mean, do we change the fact that Golden State wins by five games in the first round against Denver if they didn't have Jokic, right? Because we're looking at Embiid right now, and Embiid, obviously, if nobody has noticed, he is the biggest factor of that Philadelphia team. Sure, James Harden is on that squad, right? He's a little bit changed from his 30 to 40 points a game to getting himself a lot of assists coming in because he moves the ball around well. Maxi picks up his pace. Tobias Harris, he gets his own little points here and there. Danny Green, eh, I mean, he's on and off. I mean, you can't really say much about him. But in reality, he was a absolute goose egg of a shot from even getting a single basket in games one and two of this series, and let alone near the end of the regular season. But where is the depth of that team? I mean, Nanj, right? Who else can you name? Reed. I mean, who else can you name from that Philadelphia team that's really going to help you out off the bench? Nobody, right? The only help they got is Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is the only guy out there that can actually get it done for them on the court. And I'm probably going to just leave it at that. Because am I mad that Jokic got this MVP? I'm not mad. I'm just kind of confused how you don't really look at Joel Embiid and say, hey, this guy doesn't have a single MVP award yet. Really want to give Jokic this one? Two times back-to-back. I mean, that is the second back-to-back that we've seen so far in the past four years. You know, like 19 and 20, right? Giannis Antetokounmpo, MVP, very worthy, all that stuff. He gets his championship, right? Last year and this year, Jokic, back and forth. And it's like, has Denver really done anything in the postseason? I mean, Jokic, great individual, but like I thought before it was talking about, you know, the standings and where your team is and how much the most valuable player on your team. I mean, how much does that matter? I mean, how valuable is this player on your team? And I think that might have been one of the reasons why like Giannis didn't get it. Because Giannis, obviously, on that Milwaukee team, without him, that Milwaukee Bucks team is still a playoff team. Still a top four team in the East. And probably, if not one of the best, but the best teams right now in the NBA. So, I'm going to leave it as that right now. Jokic wins the MVP award for this year. And actually, about half an hour before we even started this podcast, we got the Coach of the Year award going to Monty Williams for the Phoenix Suns, who ended up getting 67 wins this season. And I have to say, very well deserving. I think the way that Suns franchise has built itself ever since the bubble, going undefeated in the bubble, and how Devin Booker has been coached, and how Chris Paul has added on to that team and Monty Williams' connections in the NBA, and let alone his connections to Chris Paul's career and how he's developing Aiden, Devin Booker, and all these other guys like Cam John. I mean, it's just something to marvel at, and especially the fact that five years ago, imagine telling somebody that the Phoenix Suns had 67 wins and was number one in the West. I mean... He's had a phenomenal ride so far in Phoenix, and I'm pretty sure we're just seeing the start of it. So congratulations to Monty Williams on winning the Coach of the Year. Congratulations on Nikola Ajokic winning the Most Valuable Player of the Year. And we'll see you guys on the next episode coming up on this Friday.